All right, guys, welcome to the Hunter's Quest podcast. Today, I have a great guest, somebody I've been trying to get a hold of for a little bit. He's a busy guy, but I'm here today with Pedro and Puero. How you doing, brother? Don't blame me. We're both busy, so it hasn't <laughs> been only my fault. <laughs> Did I say your name right? I think so. I don't know. I, I, Pedro I don't, and Puero. Yeah, can, pretty good. Yeah. Oh, Pedro. I, I'm already used to with... Pedro and Puero. Pedro. Pedro. <laughs> <laughs> there we go. I got it. Um, so, yeah, man. Um, we've been trying to link up for a while. Well, I know we have some mutual friends. And, um, and yeah, I just thought it would be really cool to, to chat. I don't have – I don't know. I used to prepare really thoroughly. And not that I don't like preparing for podcasts, but sometimes if it's someone I'm just really interested in talking to, like yourself – I feel like it's better just to kind of flow. So I figured we could just kind of have a conversation and just uh, get to know each other a little bit. Yeah, it sounds good to me. I think we, we both have enough stories to to be talking for a while. So Yeah. So where do you live? So I live in Spain, okay. so northern part of the country in Bilbao. And we, we have a beautiful country. We have 14 different species, hunting 360 days a year. So... We have the hunting season is all year round because we have so okay. many different species. We have goats, we have roebucks that they have antlers this time of the year because of a weird process that they have antlers during the spring instead of having antlers during the fall. We have red stags, fallow also in the fall. So the whole season kind of goes all year round. So it's kind of a pretty cool hunting destination. Yeah. Okay. And you just got back from, you were on the road. Where were you just up to? So we just arrived last week from Uganda. So we okay. went to the northern part of the country to Karamoja area, which is border with South Sudan. And we have been hunting. I went there with my dad hunting buffalo. Cape buffalo? Um, or it's, It looks like a Cape buffalo, but in theory, it's a different species. But it's okay. basically like Cape buffalo. It's called the Nile buffalo because that's where the Nile starts. But it's basically the same as a Cape buffalo. Gotcha. Did you guys so, get one? No, my dad got one. I almost got one. So it has been a tough hunt. Like the, there was a lot of rain, so the buffalo were scattered and they don't track the buffalo. So since the grass is so tall, they are not used to tracking buffalo. So you're basically hunting spot and stock. And between the tall grass and the... I mean, there's always like when you travel to somewhere, there is always something, an excuse. Yeah. If it's not... It has rained a lot. <laughs> no, the moon is... Full moon yeah. now, so you know, like it's full moon. And last week was amazing, but this year it's slow. So for some reason or the other, they weren't the buffalo that that we were expecting. And my dad ended up shooting one the last day of the hunt on the seventh day with the with the rifle. And I got an opportunity also on the last day, but we couldn't recover the buffalo. I think uh-huh. the shot with the bow was was great, and as soon as I saw the video, the footage is amazing. Like as soon as I saw the video, it's like we just made it. He's dead. But the guys weren't used to bow hunting, and I think we made. I blame the whole team because we are a team, so it's not sure he did that wrong because I probably could have placed that arrow a little bit better. So it's not a, a specific person fault, but they, you, you know, bow hunting like. If people are not used to the bow, they think it's the same as with the rifle. And with the rifle, when you're hunting buffalo, as soon as you put a bullet, it's 
well, you shoot the buffalo as much as you can. You run after it to don't lose sight of it. And that's the the way it happens because the buffaloes can take a lot of uh, ammunition. They are so big mm -hmm. that the impact of the bullet doesn't make as much impact as when you shoot a smaller right. animal. It's the same with moose. You can shoot the moose three times with a gun and they stand there like nothing, nothing really <laughs> happened. So, yeah. And they were scared that the animals will run into the national park because we were not hunting far from the national park and mm -hmm. the, the PHs, rather than staying still and not moving because the whole herd didn't know what happened, uh, he called one of the trackers to get the car and to try to cut them off to kind of block the way that they were, they were not actually running, they were just standing. But the, it turns out to be that the car was, they were really close to the road and we were watching the, the buffalo all the time. And as soon as they hear the, the, the car, they just started running. Hmm. And even if the buffalo is wounded really hard when he's inside a big herd, just the, the whole herd pushes the buffalo and he follows the herd. Like they are super, super strong animals. Like the PH was telling us that he once recovered a buffalo with a bullet inside the heart that walk Whoa. 800 meters, so 800 yards or 900 yards wow. with a bullet in the middle of the heart. So they are really strong. And rather than probably being patient and, and waiting to see what happened, because it, it only, by the time the animals started running, it was only one minute and the buffaloes need a little bit of time. They just, the whole herd got inside the tall grass. There was barely no blood. The penetration was excellent, was like three, I don't know, 30 inches my my arrow and it go like three quarters all, all the way in hmm. i think right if it wasn't the heart it was almost right there i don't know and we couldn't we couldn't follow the tracks we don't know what happened where it went and with the tall grass you can miss a buffalo you can pass by a buffalo at five meters and and don't see it so it yeah. was pretty that's the worst that's the worst man hunting. yeah it happens it happens. I've seen it. I've seen, I've been on trips, uh, where I was actually filming on this specific trip I'm talking about, but, uh, my hunter hit the bull elk with a bow. It was leaving piles of blood, like bubbly blood, like, you know, this big, like two inches, you know, two feet across, like just, and then we just, we looked for it for like day and a half, never found it. Just, it's just part of it, but it's, it's the worst, man. So, yeah. And I, and what I hate the most is that uh, for a mistake I have made, because definitely if, if I would have hit the heart in the center, uh, it would have been dead uh, quicker or whatever. So mm -hmm. it was my fault that people judge the bow as a, not a, as an efficient uh, weapon, because it's something yeah. that in Europe we are very uh, familiar with, because in a bunch of countries, the bow is not allowed and it's not legal to hunt with the bow right so which is interesting because it's like a lot of some places you find like over here people think that like bow is more ethical or like it's more of a challenge like and but over there it's it's kind of opposite it seems like it's perceived differently so i i think like there is two ways to see it uh, about ethical what is ethical to give the animal more opportunities to run away and right. to escape from from you or to provide the animal the quickest, clean, cleanest death. Mm -hmm. So in that sense, the rifle is more efficient. You can be more precise. You can shoot for far farther. 
uh, it's a stronger. Yeah. But if I see the way I see it, I see that it's more ethical because you're giving the animal way more opportunities right. to escape. So you got to get closer. If I was an animal, I, I'm not sure what I would prefer, but I think <laughs> being hunted with the bow. And also one of the things that I think people don't understand much about the arrow is that sometimes non-lethal shots, uh, animals recover really fast because there is no like burning of tissue. There is no, mm. like the cut is so clean that animals really recover quick. <laughs> and if you hit them in the right spot, they die as quick as they can. So a bad shot is a bad shot. The same with the rifle. A 375 rifle done with a with an yeah. arrow. If you hit them in the guts, they they are gonna go away. So yeah, yeah, man, that's just part of it, and that's rough. But um, I've actually I've been to Uganda, but I wasn't hunting. Um, but pretty cool country, and it well, is. Were you with with the gorillas or no? Or I was on a mission trip. I was uh, I was ministering to folks and um, yeah, praying for folks and sharing the gospel, all that good stuff. <laughs> All over the country or in a specific area? Um, of the we went to, um, what's the main city called? Kampala? Was it Kampala? Yeah, Ka- I guess. Kam- this- Kampala or, or Entebbe are the two. Yeah, that's right. We flew into Entebbe and then we were, and we spent a couple days in the city and then we went out to a village called like Chibarara. And, um, and we did like a conference there and we saw crazy stuff. Like we saw like people possessed by demons and all kinds of crazy stuff <laughs> people don't realize how different the, the world in africa is yeah like we, and we try to think to solve their problems like how we think in in other countries and it's just a different yeah like they i was you know looking at it as a hunter and um like I was telling all the the villagers how about how like we go out and hunt and we have public lands and we can you know harvest animals and stuff and they like couldn't believe it they were like what like if you if you shoot any animal here like you're going to prison and it's because like they're it's a perfect example of why the conservation model that we use in america and I, i'm assuming also in europe to some degree is is amazing because as you, i remember driving for like we drove one day for like six hours to the countryside and I don't remember seeing one single like wild animal, like nothing. It's like every single wild animal has been killed and eaten like generations ago. <laughs> and like the only place their animals are on like, you know, preserves or national parks and stuff like that. And it's like, it's crazy, man. Yeah. Either on hunting areas or national parks. But yeah. as soon as you step, I mean, already in hunting areas, it's really hard to to keep poachers away, which I don't mm-hmm. blame them because like if you are hungry and it's your yeah. land and you are seeing animals, I will hunt too. So, and and at the end, uh, through hunting, we try to add value to those communities so they see value in the animals to preserve them. But the mm-hmm. reality is that it's tough. They actually, the buffalo my dad shot, uh, he shot it because he had a snare uh, on the neck. Mm. So, wow. and, and he removed a couple of snares during the hunt. So just, Wow, it's they snare buffaloes. That's crazy. Yeah, um, that's a big. That's a big one. Yeah. <laughs> that is crazy. Um, so yeah, man, that's that's cool. I want to hear a little bit of your backstory because I don't know much about you or your family. I think I know like your dad's a big hunter as well, um, but I'd love to hear just how um, you got into this lifestyle and and just a little bit about you, man. 
So my dad is a hunter. He's the one that introduced me. My grandfather wasn't. So my dad started hunting when he was, I think, 18 or 20. So and and he has hunted all over the world. I'm the only hunter out of four brothers and sisters. And yeah, we we have been since the beginning, like, I don't know, since I was like 15 or 16, trying to promote bow hunting when bow hunting was starting 20 years ago, whatever, in Spain. We had a website, we started making videos and, and writing articles and all that. And that led to making better videos, getting a few sponsors, getting more contacts and trying to that until I'm mechanical engineer by trade, but until I reached one point that Jason Hurston, the, the founder of Kuyu, gave me the opportunity to work managing or helping. We are two guys working in Europe, manage okay. the Kuyu side of Europe. How did you um, link up with him? I met him when he was already in Sitka. Okay. And we touched base and all that. And when he started with Kuyu, for some reason, I we, we talked a lot. And I was one of the guys testing the prototypes of Kuyu before releasing. So I, I'm super thankful because he gave me a huge opportunity. Because as a Spanish kid that I was in my 20s or 20, I don't know, early 20s or whatever to trust a Spanish kid to test your prototypes and get feedback. And and it reached to a point that I told him, like, whenever you have enough business here in Europe that I'm able to afford quitting my engineering job, I will 100% quit my engineering thing because nice. it's, not, it's not my passion. Like, you, you go to work, but when you get home, you are not thinking about engineering and, and all that. <laughs> yeah. So you are thinking on hunting. So... So I definitely you wanted still... to find like a, a way to work in the hunting industry. Probably guiding was the easiest way, but at the same time, guiding, I think it's pretty tough because you get to guide. I have guided before and you get to guide some awesome people, but you get to guide not some awesome people. <laughs> yeah. um, so I think finding the balance about working for a company that you are on the technical part of equipment and all that and to be able to hunt i think it, it was pretty fortunate so yeah so and do you still do work with kuyu like kuyu europe are you involved with that still yeah 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 okay yeah, we're and still managing. so you started um filming your hunts was that just kind of for fun or did you want to get into content creation or uh how did how did that all start I, I have, like, my dad has always filmed his hunts oh, okay. since the 80s. So he has all his hunts all over the world since the 80s filmed. So I think he was the the reason he got me into filming. Yeah. And try, like, like when he, we will go on a hunt together, he will give me the camera and he will just document and I will film him. He will film me kind of like to just document a hunt for, for history or whatever for later in in life to be able to see where was the place. So it was not like creating hunting movies. Right. It was more like sitting in front of the river. I'm here in the river, Nile <laughs> River, and in the background. We have been driving for six hours just like to to report the trip. Yeah. And when I started hunting with the bow with my friends and all that, we started filming each other. It's also that the camera equipment got way smaller, way more accessible and all that. Because at the beginning my dad was filming with like big tapes and eight millimeters and, and all that. But when the handicaps start coming to, it was like the very easy to film. And it was when internet was starting and 
YouTube and Vimeo and all that. So we started doing it for fun and nice. suddenly you see that you get more engagement and that someone is like, why you don't come hunt over and you are in the eatings, you are 18 years old. It's like, he's going to invite me or give me a better place to go hunting. Yeah, let's go film it. Like we're having fun anyway. So <laughs> yeah. And one thing led to another and now I'm working with my wife. We have a media production company and we produce a, a bunch of films. And you're, are you producing mostly stuff for kind of your own channels and your own hunts, or are you, are you doing commercial stuff as well, or both? Mostly for for our channels. We used yeah. to have a TV show in Spain, but paid TV it's going the the reach is going lower and lower. People are not in Spain at least they they are not used to paying for content when you have so much great right. content available for free. Mm -hmm. So a couple of years ago with the COVID and all that, we are like, okay, we're going to invest in, in YouTube and we are publishing since then everything on YouTube, gotcha. okay. which is a rough road, but yeah, it is. And the thing about YouTube is they can just, they can just shut you off one day if they want to. It's kind of scary. <laughs> yeah, me too. Um, so what's the, what's the hunting culture like in Spain? Like what's, you know, it's very different. Everywhere you go is hunting culture is different. I mean, I grew up in the southeastern part of America, uh, hunting mm -hmm. areas that are very flat. And I grew up bow hunting, white-tailed deer and stuff. And But the last three, four years, I've really immersed myself in the western hunting culture and hunting the mountains. And uh, it's been a crazy ride and, like, a wild experience just – just seeing the differences in how people hunt and stuff. And I know Europe has its own very unique hunting culture. And um, so what's what's it like over there, man? So I think one of the biggest differences is the population that we have in Europe in general. That there is way more people than in the States. So we don't have those uh, public land areas like you guys have that. I think you guys are super lucky yeah. to be able to hunt and lose yourself without any guides and all that. I think that's freaking amazing. In Spain, it, there is towns everywhere in Europe. There is people everywhere, so everything is private. Most of the land uh, belongs to the to the little towns, so they lease the hunting rights. Hmm. So, in one sense, it's expensive to hunt in Europe because you need to buy the access to those properties. But on the other way, it's very easy to to find hunts. So it's not like in America that you're like, I would love to go hunt for something, and you need to be applying for. I don't know, 10 years to get a tag and bonus points and and you only have a season of 10 days. Right. Here, if you if you rent a lease with a few friends, you can do what, I mean, like the government will tell you, you can shoot only three robots, three stacks, uh, 10 wild boars or whatever, and you will manage it as, as you want, as long as you don't uh, kill over the quota that the government says. Hmm. So the good thing, you can get access, but it's it's expensive, and we don't have those many wild areas that you can really get get lost yourself. I mean, we yeah. have mountains and beautiful places, but not as as in America. Yeah, and also in some part of Europe, uh, there are some areas of Europe that are very into trophy hunting. Uh, some other areas that are more into the conservation thing. That hunting, like in Germany and Austria, is hunting is a conservation tool. 
is not for having fun or like recreation. Right. We just need to keep the balance. We need to be efficient. And that's one of the things like they don't like bow hunting because it's like, this is not efficient. You're having fun. And uh, what we should be is controlling game. Yeah. You know, like we are here to So German. To manage. You can't yeah. have fun. It must be for a purpose. No fun. <laughs> but hopefully, like there is a lot of people working on legalizing bow hunting. So, so hopefully, bow hunting is illegal in Germany. Yeah, Germany, Austria, United Kingdom, uh, Netherlands. Like there is hmm. Italy. It's opening up, but like there is a lot of countries that. But Spain, it's legal. Yeah, and France, and like there is a, a bunch of countries that it's legal and and with okay. no limit, like not not very much limitation. So it's pretty good in that sense. Yeah. Um, what about like anti hunters? Is the anti hunting thing pretty strong over there, or do people not really care? De definitely way stronger than in in the yeah. states. Particularly in Spain, we have been the the current government that we have has been very strong against hunting, and they have they are continuously like taking a piece of the cake. If I don't know, like limiting mm -hmm. the hunting rights, and they have just forgot uh, forbid the hunting in national parks. Which is stupid because they, I mean, like they forbid the hunting in national parks. They stop earning money from hunters that buy the tags and go there and all that. And they have to pay with the taxes professionals to kill the same animals. Yeah. <laughs> Which is like, what are you guys against? Against animals dying or against just people that hunt and have fun doing it? Because it's like, it doesn't yeah. make sense. Like you guys are killing, we are paying all money for something that we used to earn money as a government. They are killing the same animals and they are yeah. not taking care of the meat. It yeah. just, it's all it's about stupid. restricting freedom, man. That's what it is. And, and the same with wolves, like the population of wolves in Spain is like the second largest population in Europe. And they just forbid the hunting of wolves last year. And, and they are just like, going up there is other animals like partridges that may be having more troubles to recover and all that because of agriculture and a different yeah uh, reasons but like the wolf is the most beautiful animal uh, we need to protect it yeah i don't get that and like same over here i mean we have states even introducing wolves and like the the wolves that were reintroduced to like Idaho, for example, are like a Canadian subspecies that are like way bigger than the wolves that actually used to live there, and they're just destroying the elk and ungulate populations. Man, it's crazy. And at the end, it doesn't make sense. We live in a world that we have limited resources. Why don't take advantages of those resources of those elk for people to eat those elk rather than fabricating meat? I'm yeah. putting wolves to kill those elk that were they were not there. So it's like, I don't know. There's nothing wrong of us harvesting yeah. those animals and making use of those and not using yeah. other resources. I think, but I did see something today. I don't know if it's 100 percent true, but I did see something today about how Italy banned, um, like lab-grown meat to like try to preserve their like culinary culture. Have you heard about that? No, I haven't heard about it. Okay, well, but anyway, um, so we are you so, much, so so many travels in Spain already that it's hard to keep track. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I bet. So is that your is that your home that you're in right now? Yeah, well, this is my parents because we are we're okay. flying tomorrow to New Zealand. So oh, nice. I just I just came to go to the airport tomorrow. So okay. And do you guys own some family land there that you hunt, or do you lease? No, only? we 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 lease it. 
So okay. we, you live between a group of friends. We are like, I don't know, like six friends. My dad and my cousin and a couple of friends and we list the, the hunting rights. Okay. We have, we, we buy the road deer or whatever, like those licenses and we manage for 10 years is the lease. So you okay. are able to manage and see like, okay, that back and I'm going to keep it for next year and all that to try to. Uh, okay. So they're long-term leases. Yeah. Okay. And cool, you can man. renew after 10 years, you have the right to renew it as long as you put the same amount of money that the new guy that wants to to jump in. Yeah. All right. So how did you, so the reason I like one reason why I wanted to do a podcast because so I'm working on this TV show and it's sort of a hybrid format. Some of the shows I'm talking to other hunters and kind of discussing hunts they've done and stuff. And so I did one with Brian Call and we did the the bear series that you're in where you shoot that bear at the end. And then I did one with Remy Warren, and it just by chance it happened to be the Caribou series that you're in that one too. <laughs> so it's like, I feel like I got to talk to this guy. So um, last year was I, a busy season. Yeah, and, and I called you, and I was like, hey, or I can't remember if I called you or texted you, but I was like, you know, asked your permission to basically put you in the show because you actually, I, I put you in the the episode with Brian at the end when you kind of said that thing about, oh, you guys are so lucky to have these public lands and, and all this stuff like that, and I showed you shooting your bear. You don't even know this, but you're going to be on TV <laughs> in America. <laughs> so, and uh, make sure um, to put subtitles so people understand what I'm <laughs> trying to say. Yeah, I think I think Brian did put subtitles in there, but um, but anyway. So, how did you link up with uh, Remy and Brian and all those guys? So, with Brian, I don't know. I have been a huge fan for a decade. I don't know how when he started with the greedy, greedy bowman. Yeah. Now it's not the bowman anymore. But <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, I started following him since then, and we have been in touch. And I don't know why, but at some point, he's like, we should do something. And he was like, I just got someone that is not coming in, in a couple of weeks. We're going bear hunting, and someone was supposed to come, and we have an empty place. Do you want to come? And I was like, yeah, I'm going. So <laughs> nice. don't invite me. If you, if you don't mean it, don't invite me because I, I jump quickly. Yeah. And, and we got on that hunt and we, we spent a, a great time. We spent 10 days there with Ryan Lampers and Brady and, and Brady Miller. And, and we had a blast. So yeah. it was a super cool trip and we were able both to get the, the bird. So definitely learned a lot and we definitely had a lot of fun. So yeah, it's a tough hunt, man. Yeah, we're doing something else this October. We're hunting mule deer together. So oh, cool! That's awesome. Boat, man. So that's really how fun. is it hard as a well? I guess I guess uh, as far as you getting a tag, it's the same as any other non-resident, right? Or is it even more difficult as a non-American to get tags? Depending, like uh, I think in the states, it's more or less the same thing, especially for over-the-counter tags. So it's not like a special. A tax so it was an over-the-counter tag okay but for example in alaska i'm considered a non-resident alien so mm. for example in alaska i need to have a guide so it's not like you guys that you can go there uh, and hunt without a guide i need to have a guide so for any species you have to have a guide in alaska yeah for like okay. sitka because I, I really wanted to do the sitka blacktail hunt in alaska mm -hmm. and everyone's like no you should come it's like yeah no but i need a guide and then the hunt gets way more expensive and more way more complicated to organize than just yeah. jumping on a ferry and going over there. So, but in, in the other parts of the country, I think it's probably similar, but I, I'm not sure. Your regulations are so complicated. 
Yeah. Every, every, every state. It just, I read the whole state information, the whole book. It's like, please, Pedro, don't fuck it up. Because, like, <laughs> since you are always, like, especially when you're making videos and all that, you, you have to be paranoid oh, yeah. about not fucking up uh, on something and don't just, like, doing something that is not legal or whatever. So, yeah. Yep. And, and with uh, Remy Warren, we just another hand that I just jumped last minute also for Greenland and there was a bunch of guys uh, planning on a hunt and there was also a spot and they they called the Spaniard and I jumped on, on it also nice two week notice so the caribou hunt was pretty awesome the Greenland that was cool was some great footage everywhere. yeah and uh, hunting with Remy with Cole with Adam with Justin like with all those guys that was super super fun I bet yeah it looked like a fun group man yeah it was Super special, and especially now that caribou hunting is getting more and more complicated. Mm -hmm. I think like if you ever want to shoot a caribou, better do it sooner than later because yep. in Canada the caribou populations are going down. I, th I think a lot. I don't, I'm not sure what the, res the current situation of Labrador caribou is, but I think it's way lower between the wolves and the. There was an illness, no right that it's killing the. I'm not the sure. Caribou. I'm not sure to be honest with you. Um, I've heard all different things. I've heard some people say it's just made up because they want to shut stuff down. I've heard, but I've heard some people say they are hurting. I know the last I heard, the 40 mile herd in Alaska is doing fairly well um, mm -hmm. above objectives. That's Alaska, and I actually have a caribou hunt lined up for this year on the North Slope. So it is getting, Alaska. yeah, mm -hmm. it is getting more difficult. Um, for me, I called the guy, I called the transporter and he was booked like two years out. That's the biggest thing is they're all booked for years. And so this guy was booked two years out and I was like, Hey man, you know, I have some Alaska experience, you know, I know a little bit what I'm doing. Um, he normally does drop camps and I was like, I don't need a drop camp. Just take me up on an off day and drop me off. I'll bring all my own gear. And he's like, uh, all right, let me talk to my boss or my partner. And I was like, okay. And so he's so he's gonna do it. So, but all I have to say is, it is getting tougher. Um, so, yeah, I, I would agree with you. If you guys want to hunt caribou, don't wait. <laughs> I cannot, I, I cannot plan or commit myself to do a hunt in two years. Yeah, how do you like? Do it that? just it creates me a lot of anxiety too. It's like Does it? I'm gonna close some dates in two years. Like, where the hell? I'm maybe bankrupt in two years. I'm not sure. <laughs> Yeah, for real, man. Um, that's, so, what what's your uh, hunt? What's your gonna do? What's your plan for New Zealand? So, I'm hunting with uh, Joe Eddington. He has a pretty good uh, YouTube channel. If you don't know him, just check him out. And we are gonna get dropped in the Alps. I'm gonna be hunting for Samoa, tar, and stacks. So, for mm. ten days, out of the tents, backpack. So, I don't know. It's pretty cool because uh, that's the southern hemisphere. So, right now they are in in the beginning of the winter so it's kind of like to, a great destination to do a cool proper mountain hunt yeah during the springtime which in many places there is not that many things to do yeah so yeah that's that's so on my list really, man i'm gonna do that really looking forward to it we're going with the rifle uh, if you want to want advice don't bring your own rifle to new zealand because it has been the hardest biggest nightmare really to get it approved uh, interview with the police getting the papers asking for permission. They were talking with Joe. 
where you're going to store your firearm the night you're going to be sleeping in, in the town that we are flying on, just very complicated. So I just oh. got the approval to bring my gun today. Oh my and gosh, I'm you're going to leave it tomorrow. So. <laughs> What's so the, is there another sure. option? Like, yeah, you just to, have to, have a... to, to use someone's gun over there. But... Like a friend? Yeah, or, or like rent it from the outfit oh, you... you're going to be hunting okay. on, which is the easiest part, but we are filming some content for a new rifle coming up and we wanted to bring that right. rifle on the hunt. So, okay. I don't know. What rifle company? Probably is with it... guns is getting more and more complicated. Yeah. Is it a Bergara rifle you're uh, yeah. bringing? Because they're, they're based in Spain now, or they're from? Yeah, they're based like 30 minutes from my house. Okay. Cool, man. So they have a factory in the northern part of Spain, and they also have a factory in America. Yeah, okay. And I mean, like the area that I live in Spain has been known for gun manufacturing since ever. So it was like the, you know, that in the past, if a town was good in doing something, all the manufacturers were, uh, all the brands were around that. Yeah. That area is like right. the boot, co boot companies. They are all in a specific region of Italy right. because all the guys knowing how to make boots were from the, that territory and they were just making different brands. Mm -hmm. And Bergara it's born, was born in one of the, in, in the core of Europe of uh, rifle manufacturing. So, mm. okay. so they used to make a lot of barrels for other companies Yeah, and they are fabricating also their, their own rifles in, I don't know, like eight Yeah, I know they, now. um. I know they make think, uh, barrels for CVA muzzleloaders. I just drew a really good New Mexico elk tag with a muzzleloader. And uh, it's got a – CVA sent me one of their new um, Acura LRT uh, – LRX, and all those Acuras now have Bergara barrels, which is interesting. Yeah, CVA is owned by Bergara, so it's yeah. the same. BPI Outdoors, yeah. Yeah. Um, do you, Is there muzzleloader hunting in Europe? No, not really. Not really. No, <laughs> yeah, it's kind of like a, the, the thing is that there is no special regulations. So the advantage of America is that uh, the bow season is before the the rifle season or the yeah. muzzle loader. So people is like, I'm interested in hunting with muzzle loader because it gives me an advantage. Right. In Europe, it's the same. Same. So you can okay. hunt with a stick or you can hunt with a rifle. <laughs> it doesn't really matter as long as you kill only the buck that you are supposed to kill. Doesn't matter what weapon. So. I think that's why it's not popular because it's just like more complicated and I don't know. Yeah. Okay. The cool, same man. with crossbows. Crossbows are not very popular either. Yeah. Yeah. Crossbows get kind of some hate over here. It's like some people think it's cheating, I guess. I don't know. <laughs> At the end, the important thing is that people have fun. So yeah. like uh, maybe it's one day that uh, I cannot hunt with a bow and I need to use, uh, I don't know, shoot from the car. I don't know because I cannot walk, but and not everyone has the same time as maybe you and I, or maybe it doesn't have the same physical condition or the same opportunity. So I don't know. Yeah, for it's sure. It's hard man. to judge others, but. So you, you prefer bow hunting over rifle. What is it about bow hunting that kind of draws you into that style of hunting? I love the silence. When okay. you shoot an animal that you don't break the... The, like the whole moment, like the whole moment, because yeah. when you shoot with the gun, it's like, right. Everyone knows you're there, like all the birds sat down, all the animals are running, and you're like, it was a beautiful moment. And just, <laughs> it's, and, and especially I like the challenge. Yeah. At the end, I think 
I think one of the cool parts of hunting is to spending time outside. So when I go on hunt, it's like the sooner you kill that animal, the sooner your hunt is going to end. And you're traveling over there to spend the longest time enjoying nature. Yeah. So why I would like to kill earlier. Yeah. So no, I... that, that's what happened with Brian Collins. Like, I don't want to shoot the bear on the first day. I, I came here to, to spend 10 days. So I just want to... And um, for that reason, I have come empty-handed in many times, so so it's not a good advice, probably. But <laughs> well, that's interesting yeah. because that's something I was thinking about a lot lately on this bear hunt, um, and I think this happens to a lot of guys, but especially like with content creators, um, or at least for me, I get to a place where I'm like very much. I get to a place where I can kind of look at a hunt more as like something I need to do and accomplish and like check off. And, um, and I get, and I'm out there, I'm like stressing the whole time about like, Oh, I gotta, you know, I gotta fill this tag. I gotta get this footage. I gotta, you know, make this show and stuff. Um, to the point where like, I realized on this last hunt, like I wasn't really enjoying where I was and what I was doing. I was kind of stressing too much and, um, and trying to figure out how that was one of my major takeaways from the hunt is like, I need to try to figure out how to, like slow down and try to enjoy the experience and not just try to like kill the animal and go home. Is that something you've dealt with or like, do you have any tips for how to kind of get over that? Self-filming, it's tough. Like, I'm not sure if you are bringing a camera. I was, I was with the camera guy. So when I bring the thing I love, I love about bringing a camera guy is that you can focus on being present on the moment. If you are self-filming, it's just stressing. You are thinking on the shots. You are thinking on putting the camera Mm-hmm. on capturing this and that so that stressed me i mean like i don't enjoy it as much because like you yeah. are thinking all, all the time on filming when you have a camera guy he's like he's doing the things i'm gonna uh, do my own thing you have to be more patient to make sure that the guy has the shot and all that but it's something that doesn't i'm, I'm used to it like to waiting for confirmation and you lose opportunities and all that but at the same time you wouldn't be there if you wouldn't be filming so it just uh a ticket you have to pay for being there. So the losing the lost opportunities, I'm not really scared. And the thing about filming hunts is that uh, our culture, if you don't have a kill shot, uh, the content is not yeah. valuable. And it's hard. Like with bow hunts, I don't know. Like now in Uganda, we don't have a kill shot. The last trip I went in Kyrgyzstan, 22 days, we don't have a kill shot. Wow. Uh, so it's like, you have this huge amount of content that is like how I'm going to tell a story that it's appealing and that people don't get bored because at the end we all want to see yeah. the the kill shot. And I love seeing kill shots. Like uh, when you see a, and also a show and you don't see what happened, it's kind of like... like ah. <laughs> no, because the, the thing about the kill shot is like I think it brings you to that exact moment and place yeah. and you get in the skin of the hunter and you can think about how stressful you are, how excited, how concentrated you need to be. And I think that's really exciting to watch. But but yeah, I don't know. I think the, the key thing is to don't promise too many things. Yeah. If you are dealing with brands or with TV or whatever, uh, because if you don't get the kill shot and you promise that it was going to be this epic film or whatever, it's like, mm-hmm. I don't know. Yeah. And I think we are... We should promote and try to educate people to enjoy and entertain them without the kill shot. And actually, 
like I think Brian's called that he releases three episodes of the bird hunt and the most successful one is the one that doesn't have the kill shot. Yeah. Which which is interesting because like out of the three, the only one that doesn't have any kill shots, it's by far the most successful one. Hmm. So I think he's doing a great job storytelling. Yeah. Because maybe we have reached to a point that some people we have already watched enough kill shots that we want to see something else. Yeah. And sometimes if the film only has music and it's missing the educational and the entertaining part, uh, you may have a great kill shot, but it has it hasn't added value to you. So yeah, yeah, it's it's tough to I like this bear hunt. We didn't we don't have a kill on this last bear hunt, and I was really blessed that all my other hunts this year were successful. But I think people also, you know, especially kind of over here in this culture of of people who want to do DIY and public land and stuff. Um, I still think like this, this bear hunt, it was like crazy adventure. Like I almost drowned in a pack raft at one point. Um, <laughs> we had to climb like a bunch Don't of crazy those things. Oh dude, it was ugh. climb a bunch of crazy mountains. Like, I mean, we were just banging our heads against the wall for like nine days trying to find bears and it just didn't happen. But, um, you know, I think every now and then people, it's almost like it's, it's relatable. You know, it's like if they see, you know, if they see a, Orion Lampers like coming out of the woods every single time with this giant animal. It's like, okay, well that's him. But I don't know. I think every now and then maybe it is good to throw in like, Hey, we tried our best for a week. You know, we're normal guys and we just didn't get it done. Like this is my first bear hunt that I've ever planned on my own and just didn't work out. You know? Yeah. The thing is that it, uh, it's hard to don't get that inside your head because like, I also go like on very, like last year we went to Kyrgyzstan to hunt a Marco Polo with the bow, which was a really, a, probably the hardest hunt that I, I have done because like it's wide yeah. open. It's, I mean, like there was- Why would you do that to yourself? Missing. I don't know. <laughs> and, and we spent 21 days hunting. That's gnarly. Uh, so like you have invested a lot of training because we train a lot, a lot of uh, economical resources. You have a camera crew there. Uh, you are a lot of time outside of home and all that. And you have a lot of people expecting you to be successful when you're trying something that is a stupid. <laughs> so, yeah. And I, I got a couple of opportunities and I missed. It's true that they were like extreme long shots, but uh, like it's hard to don't have that get into your brain and mm -hmm. get you out of the experience. So you need to remind yourself, it's like, I'm here to have fun. Just like, don't stress it. Because also when you stress thing out, uh, I, I don't think you hunt as, you don't hunt as good. Yeah. And you make a lot of mistakes. Uh, you try to cover more country when you should be more patient and yes. waiting. So probably if you are not seeing birds, it's like, we need to go to the next reach and the next reach. And, and you are not probably glassing properly. Yeah, that's sure. actually another one of the biggest things is like we were in an area to begin with that was pretty good and we saw one sow and cub and um, we spent a whole day there and that's all we saw but then we left and then like that was like we realized after that I was like we should have stayed there another at least another day, you know, but I was so like freaking out trying to find that I'd probably jumped the gun on leaving that spot, you know. Yeah, I, I will always remember in Norway territory we were hunting those sheep and our, it, we were not seeing sheep. Like, I think we saw the first legal sheep on day eight of the hunt. And 
And I don't know, internally, you, you have wide open country. And I was like, let's, there's nothing. Let's move. Let's move. And and the guy once told me, Jeremy Atala, that he has like a huge experience sheep hunting. And he's like, you came here to do mountaineering or to hunt? Like to hunt. Like, so sit down and glass. <laughs> You're like, those animals, like they stay behind a rock and they only move once a day. And you need to be glassing. Yeah. If you are just walking around, you're missing the animal. So, but it's hard because like we, we saw the first legal sheep on day eight, wow. for 10 day hunt. So it's like day eight and be, because if you see it on day two, but day two, day three, day four, day five, yeah. day six, th there's a lot of hours hunting. That's a and lot. And you're and in one gets, spot? No, no, no. We cover, cover we yeah. camping every single day on a different spot. Right. Okay. Uh, when we were glassing, I'm more used to Europe that we have, I think, way more density of game. So it's like, if you haven't watched anything half an hour, it's like, okay, let's keep moving. And you're like, no, no, we're going to sit here for six hours. Yeah. And you are glassing the same rock. So over and over, it's like, there's nothing. And suddenly <laughs> inside a cave, something comes out or, you know. Yeah. And those are the moments when, for me anyway, you know, when it's been eight hours and you haven't seen anything and you start to start to think of the family back home, you know, what am I doing out here? <laughs> like, why am I here? You start questioning everything in life, you know? Yeah. Uh, last, the last video we published last week, it was from hunting red stacks. And I saw the stack in the morning, like it has, it's the second season hunting in that area because I wanted to shoot a, a mountain stack with a bow in, in Spain, which it's by far the hardest animal you can hunt in Spain because they are, like we, we hunt them a lot, so they are very mm -hmm. spooky. And I saw the stack bed down at, I don't know, like eight in the morning. And I sat down at 50 meters or 40 meters of the stack bedded for 10 hours without moving. Oof. Until it finally bed down and I saw him bedded down because it was getting dark already. But waiting 10 hours. 10 hours. With that, and you are thinking, should I throw a rock? Should I just like grunt a little bit to get the stack to move? Or should I just uh, crawl a little bit closer to see if I see a better angle? They're like, nah, you, you need to wait. Yeah. As, and as, you know, like trying to convince yourself to don't fuck it up. And you know that the right thing is to wait. But yeah, I think finally it, it turned out good. And we, I got the stack. But You got him? Okay. Yeah. Well, I had that experience last year bear hunting with Mark Livesey. We sat on this huge bear for five hours and he stood up after five hours and just disappeared like he caught our wind or something so that one i kind of wish i had done something but every situation's different you know i mean so i don't know yeah i think like stand uh, better animals with the bow i like uh, waiting for them to stand up unless oh, the yeah. wind is like swifting a lot yeah with the rifle maybe you can try to make them stand up but i prefer to wait yeah but it's different with the bow but i mean like it's I mean, like, then something like that can happen. Um, yeah. I, I, I almost missed my bear because when he stood up, I was on the wrong side. I know, you were going to the bathroom. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> so I, I told Brian, it's just going to take me 30 seconds. Don't worry. Like, no, no, you should wait. Like, 30 seconds. Don't worry. Just <laughs> I, I'm just so stressed because we have been waiting for an hour. Just give me 30 seconds. Yeah. And as soon as I went, he stood up. So Of course, always. Of course. Um. So, yeah, man. Um. Are there is it are there pretty good opportunities for Americans to come over and hunt in Spain? Yeah, there is. Yeah. I mean, like 
Spain is known for its tourism. So like we have, we are probably one of the countries with more tourists for the size of country that we are. So you have good food, uh, good communications in roads and all that. 14 species, a lot of outfitters, a lot of access, wide season. So I think it's probably one of the top hunting destinations for people. Like yeah. For Americans, they come over all the time. Is it how, is it pretty easy to get firearms or do you have to use the your outfitters' firearms? No, it, it, it's easy. I, I think it's not a problem in Spain. Okay. It's probably harder for us to go to the States, but I think you guys coming over is not, is not a problem. So Good. Yeah, I, I was thinking I about... recommend people to come. I was thinking about trying to, there's no way I could go to Spain though without bringing my wife. So it's like, maybe I could, you know, do a little family vacation slash hunting trip, you know? Those things are hard. <laughs> yeah. Like you, you really need to set the boundaries because yeah. I, at least myself, if I'm on vacation and I'm thinking on hunting and I go hunting, I, I go hunting hundred percent. It's hard yeah. to go hunting and thinking that your wife might be waiting in the hotel or your family and that you should come, you know, like, so That's very I true. think it's, I recommend people like to come with the wife, maybe do a week off. I mean, maybe the wife loves also like going hunting and all that. So right. if, if she likes the outdoors, it's not a problem, but maybe come for a week, do some tourism yeah. and then stay a couple of more days or three or four days by your own and just go hunting hundred percent. Because yeah, when you go hunting, you go. spend the whole you spend the whole day out. So yeah, that's the way to go. Um, all right. So last last thing here. Um, do you have one like? Do you have one hunt that just like sticks out like as your favorite or craziest hunt or you know just best hunt you've ever been on? Because I know you've hunted all over the world. Yeah, I have been. On many, like uh, on many that are like this is top of my. But I will say that if I have to choose from a style of hunting, I think backpack hunting is the one I love the most because I like the freedom. I think yeah. there is nothing that equals the freedom of uh, wrapping up camp and moving somewhere else and not having to go back and forth to the same spot. Yeah, and probably mountain hunting with with a bow. And okay. out of those hunts that I have done that way, probably the one in Norway territories for tall sheep was the one I enjoyed the most. Which one? I didn't understand. Which one was it? Uh, Norwich Territories for Dolship. Oh, okay. All right. So that's the hunt that we spotted the first legal ram on, on the eighth day of the hunt, and I shot it on the ninth day of the hunt with the bow. Wow. So so just I just get, honestly, literally goosebumps just by thinking on that hunt because yeah. like the struggle and the beauty of not knowing where to go because you would look to the map and like, where do we go? It's like, you look to the guy like, I don't know, I've never been here. So why we don't go that way and see what is behind that valley. So I think that's super special and living out with your own resources in the country, finding water, fire, you know, like, I think that's, that's very cool. And on the other side, uh, the cultural part, when you travel around, it's also pretty special mm -hmm. when you're living in Mongolia in a yurt with the local guides and you see them and you try to understand how, how they live, but you contrast that with the guys in Africa or the pygmies in the rainforest and how they live in, how they understand the family, how they understand the future of a wildlife of nature. Like we think we are very alike, but the way of thinking of the different culture, you go to Pakistan and they have another different view of, of life so i don't know i think that's 
that's a pretty cool also. Yeah, man. which maybe in Northwest territories you don't have that cultural thing because uh, Canada and the state. I mean, I, I have traveled a lot there, so I more or less know, and I have lived in the state, so I don't know. It's more similar to. Yeah. So as far as that goes, like, you know, your outlook, the stuff you just said, your outlook, your thoughts on family and the future of wildlife, and all that, like, do, do you think your cultural outlook is different from a lot of the Americans that you've spent time with? And if so, how so? In terms, in comparison, the Spanish people with Americans, because I lived in Hawaii for a year and a half, I think in Europe we are more family based mm -hmm. so the family is a very strong piece of of the culture so you typically live close to your family uh, you will go visit them often every month uh, relationships are very tight and if you have friends from school those group of friends are your friends forever and ever mm -hmm. and i think in the states you guys are less uh, stick to that so your son will be 18 and will travel to a different state and come once a year to visit you. And then he will make a family and maybe get divorced and go somewhere else. So <laughs> you you guys are not that stick into, into the family or that's the, mm. the feeling I have. And the relationships are also a bit different. It, it's true that maybe because I was an outsider, so it's different. But I think like... Uh, and don't understand me wrong. It's just like no, you won't offend like, me. Like the, I see that sometimes in relationships, there is an intention behind something, and you get yeah. to relationship with someone, and you change with friends and all that. While as we are very, I mean, like if you have a, the group of friends, and when someone you call friend, it's forever. He can be an idiot, he can change, you can be mad at him, but it's your friend, uh, forever, and it, there is no interest behind or whatever. So yeah. I think that's the biggest cultural difference. That's I interesting. But I lived in Hawaii, which is also a place that has a lot of tourism. And yeah. people go there for a year and go. So I don't think local people want to invest the time on a person that is going to go. Yeah. So maybe on different areas of the country, it's different. Yeah. No, you, I mean, I think you, you hit a lot of that stuff, true, because my wife is Iranian, um, and I've I've traveled extensively through Europe, Southeast Asia, some in Africa, even South America, and um, I'm always observing other cultures as well. And um, I think you're right. I think you know Americans are very much more, I guess you could say, independent. You know, like like you said, it's totally like normal for a man to move across the country from his family and start his own, you know, little thing. And um, I think a lot of that just comes from how america started i mean you think about it like we came from all the people who left europe basically and you know and and then the people that came here they all wanted to leave the east coast and go west and um and there's positives to that but there is also negatives i i see like you said my my wife's family they're they seem much closer tighter knit than than you know maybe my family is unfortunately but um, and then, yeah, I think, I think we do sometimes we're so like, go, go, go all the time that a lot of times our relationships and friendships are more like transactional, you know, like, you know, what can you do for me kind of thing, which is unfortunate, but it's good to hear that perspective and kind of remember those things and, um, and, and try to try to work on it, you know? Um, yeah, so no, I, and, and not like 
it's different, but I, I'm not saying also that it's way better one thing or or way sure, better yeah. the other. I think yeah. it's different. And when you go to other countries, also you cannot judge how others live because it's the situation and the country and the cultural space that they live is so different to yours that it's not easy to judge and say, no, he's like very materialistic or he's not taking care properly of the family because yeah. maybe his concept of family is way different than... Yeah. Um, and I remember when we were um, first trying to get a podcast going, it was Easter week. And I think you said your kids had like the whole week off and you're doing a lot of family stuff. Um, so is, is, uh, is faith a part of your life or is that, is it more of a cultural thing or what do you fall on that? So two, th two things, like I spend a lot of time outside. So when I, I'm at home, I'm trying to spend time with, I have a six year old and now a four month old. So oh, trying to spend time as much time with the family as possible. And here in Spain, I would say that it's uh, quite a, it's mostly Catholic, but I think uh, people are losing the faith or like losing they are not practicing a little bit. In part, I think I'm not sure what type of religion do you practice, but I think that I'm Christian. The, yeah, the Christian religion, uh, they are not adapting to the times as quick as the world is changing. Yeah, so I think. They but is that a bad thing? Because look at the world; it's screwed up. <laughs> yeah, but the communication. I don't think they have to change the values, but how do you reach the people? Because I mm -hmm. don't think people like the younger generations are listening or whatever, because if you make them go on Sundays for one hour and you read in slow motion and, you know, it's like, <laughs> like yeah. it's hard for people to. So I think the values are great, uh, but maybe the communication should be adapted. And yeah. I also, me personally, like after traveling a lot, uh, I do believe that there is something bigger than us. But at the same time, when you see so many different cultures and so many interpretations of what is above us, it's hard to believe that maybe we own the only truth. Mm. So I'm not sure. Uh, I believe that we are not wrong all, but I think maybe it's a mix between between different. I mean, like there is something else and there is a purpose and we all have to to try to add value to people and be our best person and all that for a bigger project that we may not understand. Mm -hmm. But I'm not sure if you are right, of the guys from Pakistan are right, or the guys in Africa are the ones that are right. Yeah. No, I get you, man. Um, if that makes sense or not. Yeah. So, you're, I mean, is it something that you spend much time thinking about or is it not really kind of top of the mind for you? I don't know, depending. <laughs> we spend a lot of time alone thinking about Yeah. About life, but yeah. Yeah, that's cool. Yeah, I just I feel like man, I feel like um there's so much just crazy stuff happening in the world today. It's like it seems like uh the evil is just kinda ramping up in the last three or four years. I don't know. So uh, I don't know how I'm sure it I don't know how it is in Europe, but over here the um you know, just like the the transgender stuff and the like open openly like satanist people like doing like kids stuff or like parents taking their kids to see drag shows and stuff it's like what are people thinking and it just it's so it seems like it's such a 
obvious like agenda to try to i i think I don't that know what. we are trying to be way too polite and i i don't know who said that but i'm i'm, I'm not sure if they said it in, in spanish or in english but there is one guy that said that one day they will forbid the stupid to the clever people to think to don't offend the stupid people yeah because like we we are trying to be so politically correct and you cannot think on a specific way it needs to be good for everyone that i think i don't know yeah it's wild man um all right but well in spain it's the same man. like we are in the same i think it's worldwide yeah well, not not in africa definitely not in uganda in uganda <laughs> they are way behind in that sense yeah, there's a lot of places still where I mean, um, you know, if you're if you're like homosexual, I mean, it's like you're in, like in against the law. law. Yeah, in Uganda is by law. You can right. Yeah, control. like you can get in trouble, and I don't think that's the way to go either. I mean, we shouldn't like you know criminalize stuff. But anyway, it's just weird, man. Uh, I just I feel like I feel like there's um, an agenda, and it's kind of like not good and i see it starting to creep into the hunting industry which is over here anyway still a very conservative and still still a lot in a lot of ways faith-based kind of community but i starting to see these things kind of infiltrate like subtly and it, it kind of it's kind of weird yeah i mean it's in the schools it's in all the com media communications it's in everywhere so mm -hmm. like it's they are just educating the people and i don't know yeah we are we are way better in the mountains solving <laughs> real, real problems like getting closer to deer which is uh yeah figuring out how to busy. secure water food and shelter not trying to figure out what gender we are or something yeah <laughs> i agree all right man well this has been fun um i enjoyed getting to know you a little bit i hope you have a great hunt in new zealand and um tell folks where they can check out some of your content because you got a lot of really cool hunts on youtube and stuff like that where can people find you yeah, so mainly all our videos we are posting on YouTube. So if you say if you search for Pedro Hunting Adventures or something like that, you could probably find us. And also on Instagram, Pedro, whatever. I'm not sure. I'm, I think I'm shadow banned, so it's gonna be hard to. I don't know <laughs> yep. if you get shadow banned or not. Oh yeah, just like certain you... accounts, you have to type in the entire account before it pops up or something. That's crazy. Yeah, but I don't know. It's social media, I guess, on the <sighs> platforms. Yeah, and they're they're all part of that agenda I was just talking about. But, um, but yeah, man, um, it was great to have you, and uh, hopefully someday maybe we could meet up and do an adventure together. That'd be awesome. Yeah, we're waiting for you in Spain, and in the meantime, let's find an excuse to do something in in the U.S. <laughs> but you have to come out with a plan because I'm I'm unable to understand all the regulations, draws, and yeah, it's tough, man, and all that. Just it's hard. Yeah, it's it's like. It's like a whole part of my job is just like figuring out every single state and like buying points and applying like everywhere. And it's uh, it's like mental. It's like algebra. It's like doing complex math equations in your head during application yeah. seasons. Like if I get this, then I'll do this. If I don't, I'll do this. But if this doesn't go, I have to go. Th it's like it's crazy. Oh, very complicated. So yeah, <laughs> thanks. Thanks all for having me. I yeah, man. Really enjoy talking to you. Yeah, man. Um, let me know if uh. If, if you're ever uh, over on the East Coast or like flying through DC, you got a layover or anything, I'll be I'll, I'm right in that area, and then uh, we'll stay in touch. Maybe we can link up sometime. Yeah, for sure. It will not be the last one. All right, brother. Sorry Good talking you, to you. It will not be the last. Okay. Thank you. <laughs> See you, Bye. man. Have a great hunt. Bye. Thank you.